Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show in Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and with us today is uh, co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So All today, right. So today, a little more of a relaxed episode. We're celebrating 200 episodes of the Truth to Power show. Uh, just kind of reminiscing on uh, the past four years that I've been here, and Scott's been here since... Uh, how long has it been? 12, 15 episodes or something that you've been? Yeah, yeah. I'd say about, a, about a, just a little more than a dozen. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, we're out about. Um, but you said relaxed episode. Who knows if it will be more relaxed yeah. or more <laughs> intense, uh, depending on uh, how the conversation goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Four years, VJ. Four years of yeah. uh, the Truth to Power show. What was the, the nugget that, that got you started on, on the path of... of Truth to power. Where did that come from for you? What was that? Where did the title uh, pop into your head first for? Yeah, I was thinking about um, how writers and writing about how writing is like finding your truth or discovering your truth and and letting it empower you. That was really the impetus behind starting the show. So uh, even though I understand that, like you know, a lot of times in common parlance, we think of it in terms of speaking truth to the state or, right. or the government. I felt like it was important to ground and root it in. Speaking a personal truth and speaking and discovering a personal truth, discovering a, a truth about yourself or about your community that um, resonates with you. Right. And and it, out of writing, you were saying more so for something completed either solitarily or, or on your own to then, you know, disseminate and get out there. Because I yeah. believe like I just was looking up like the origin of the phrase. It was first in print where the, the phrase truth to power came to be. It was, a, I believe, a Quaker pamphlet in, was it the 40s or the 50s? Mm. Uh, that truth to power, you know, was, was origin as an alternative to, uh, to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. It is, it is quite interesting. You got you had any experience with, with Quaker, uh, the Quaker life? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, have you? Yeah, I mean, I, we've performed at, like, Quaker schools before, and, and you know, like, fascinating kind of the way they kind of structure it i just remember like a friend school they're called and uh at the lunch break um no matter where the students were they would just drop their book bags they would drop their book bags wherever they were and then head to um to the cafeteria and it was just like kind of a, a showing that everybody trusted everybody and their possessions and their belongings they just dropped them out there and then they that that so that they could both be completely present for with each other at lunch, but also that they weren't concerned with their material possessions or anything that were in their bag. Oh, Just nice, found, that, nice. found that kind of fascinating. And I don't know if uh, a lot of schools would be able to do do that, right? With, <laughs> uh, with, with just leaving bags and, and stuff like that. But um, I was wondering if you had any uh, kind of times in your life though, where you did speak truth to power, you know, even growing up. Cause I know it's, it's weird when when you're a youth, right? And like, like you you do have to go by what your parents say is 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 the way. Um, but and, and then when you're in school, it's through teachers. Like sometimes or or any anecdotes when you remember like speaking truth to power as a youth. Yeah, I mean, uh, I grew up, um, you know, young. I went to Catholic school growing up, first through eighth grade, and then so I felt like I, I was very much like, you know, respectful of authority or like I was very much like kind of, you know, very much in that line of like um, being kind of a little bit more traditional a kid. 
So when I went to high school, um, it started to slow. Then I started to run for um, office. I ran for student government office. So I felt like they gave me a little bit of a, a sense of behind the scenes of like, you know, how the school is run and it gave me a better perspective on administration, oh, you know, because we would work with the, the teachers, you know, to help do some a- actions in the school or perform some things in the school. We'd like we have meetings and it felt a little more like you're like involved with the school business right. than, than previously. But then um, senior year in high school, I tell the story and I told the story in storytelling classes where the pineapple incident story um, where, uh, uh, you know, a teacher told, I went to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor said, uh, you know, you have two AP, you have three AP classes. Have you considered dropping one? And I said, oh, no, why, why would you say that? And she goes, um, because the AP political science teacher says, that he wanted you to leave the class. So I was like, I felt very insulted by that. I felt very, like, kind of, you know, especially since the political science teacher at that time was the student government advisor previously. Oh, okay. So he had been someone I'd worked with, you know, for the student government, you know, someone who had been a mentor for the student government um, facility, you know, for the mentor for the my involvement in the student government. So I was like, oh, let me go talk to him. So I, I spoke to him after class the next time we had a, the AP Political Science, and I said, oh, you know, the, the guidance counselor said that um, he asked me to drop the class, and he says, hey, why is that? And he go, and he said this weird thing. He goes, like, lack of performance, lack of ability. And he said in, like, a sing-songy way, and then the school bell rang, and he laughed. And that was it. And that was pretty much all he said. <laughs> oh, man. So that's all I remember. Like, you just cut it off there. Right. So I got very upset. I was very upset about sure, that. Sure, sure. So uh, the next opportunity when uh, me and a few friends were uh, walking down the street, and he grabs a pineapple from the store. This guy grabs a pineapple from the store, and he puts it in his jacket or whatever he leaves. He walks out, he kind of shoplifts it. And then he's like, what do we do with this pineapple? And I said... And I go, let's put it on uh, this teacher's car. So uh, it was my idea. So we ended up putting it on the teacher's car. We ended up splitting it in half and putting it like half on the roof, and half on the front windshield and half on the back windshield. And then, um, but then I had, I had to ultimately confess because apparently, allegedly, the later on, the later on, um, a week later, um, I stayed home from school and they came over and they said that they were getting in trouble for it. So, um, you know, I was like, all right, all right, I'll confess. I'll tell them that I did it, saying with the uh, with the intention of sal- telling them that, that he had said all these things, and that you know, as in a way of defense, that you know that the teacher has said all these things about me leaving the class, and I wanted to defend myself, saying that he shouldn't have said that, and he kind of deserved, if you will, the the uh, the pineapple, the, pineapple. the, the drive by fruiting, yeah, uh, yeah, if you will. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah. So he ended up, we end up, I ended up giving him $20 for a car wash or something like that. But at least he knew it was me and I felt like I felt a little more vindicated. So, you know? so you, yeah. you, you, you came at it with the truth, but it, it was, it was a group, uh, idea. Every, a couple people together. That, yeah. But I, I said it was just you, me. You, I said it was just okay, me. So you didn't, you I didn't rat out. Yeah. 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 Oh, the pine. So the only consequences for you became then. The, um, the the fine, if you will. Yeah, also it gave me one day's detention. Oh, so you did get we detention did one, as one well. One day's detention, yeah. But at the detention, the teacher was like, I feel like cause some of you are going to go on to do big things. And then I was like, and she realized I was going to Vassar and she felt like, oh, maybe that maybe you'll go on to do big things, you know? Right. So you never know, you know? So it was very light. 
It was just sitting there. And and, and when you think about it, it's a pretty minor offense in general when yeah. you think of what certain high school kids are capable of, of, of smashing yeah. windshields or doing this. And, you know, you, 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 you got a little citrus onto the windshield. Uh, <laughs> it's which, not even, like egging the car would have been worse. Right, egging right, would have been right, worse. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just like that that act, you know, yeah. and it's almost poetic that it is, yeah. you know, pineapple. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, it reminds me of the royalty, like, you know, royalty having pineapples or something <laughs> yeah. like, like uh, talking about the elitism right, or something right. like that. It seems to comment on, in my view. Right. Uh, so what I'm also interested, though, is in when you're in the student government, are you talking to this guy and the the teacher? Does he feel like the authority figure, or do you feel your ideas are being able to be expressed on an equal plane? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think like after three years, I felt like you know we had got reached a point where he could communicate to me, and I he could tell me like, oh, like like you know, it didn't feel as much as authority. That's why I was saying like like a little bit of dismantling of that kind of attitude I had growing up. You know, like right. like authority being so like you know, removed from us. And so he slowly started to break down those barriers. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I felt I had a, I, it wasn't, I was, I guess I had a fear of authority uh, growing up a little bit and just kind of, you know, like to do kind of my own thing. I remember uh, an incident with, um, at Hebrew school today being uh, what the uh, last night of Hanukkah, actually, yeah. by the way. And I remember it was like a luncheon uh, after sometimes like uh, Hebrew school, the whole temple would meet and we'd have like a group luncheon. So this was, I guess, maybe middle school age. And um, kids started throwing things, throwing things across across uh, across the room. And right at like it was getting a little chaotic. The last second I hurled a hamantashen, uh, a cut of pastry Ugh. throughout. And I think it landed on somebody uh, somebody's table. And... Uh, the rabbi really scolded me, and I got sent to his office. Um, and I remember distinctly at that moment, my mother, who happened to be there, uh, intervened and spoke for me in that case of, like, there were clearly other kids that were throwing lots of things yeah. all throughout the room. I don't know why you singled out, you know, my child. And I was very upset and kind of <laughs> crying, and I guess... I looked to her to kind of bail me out, but I just I admired that, she, you know, she saw that, you know, that there were other people doing some other things and that mine was, you know, I was generally such a good kid. And she spoke up to the authority uh, for me in that case. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, that didn't make me speak up for authority. It, I guess it had me having, uh, whether it was, you know, my mom or, I went to summer camp where my dad actually worked at the summer camp that I went to. I guess I was a bit of a crybaby a little bit growing up too, you know, like I just got upset. Um, and uh, yeah, now I guess once once I got to a point of feeling more, I guess, intellectually secure and emotionally secure, then I could have conversations with authority figures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 maybe where it came from for me. Um so yeah, I mean, what what? Uh, so truth to power, who? Let's go through some of like kind of the notable guests, I guess. That yeah, that, yeah I was just that, looking at the list. Right. I started out with uh, poetry economics, which is a that was episode one, episode one. Yeah, Vanessa Jimenez Gab, who did a lot of work on like uh, intersection, intersectionality between the 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 um, in poetry between the you know economic like the needs and basic needs is her new book that came out. I think. Uh, in the fall of this year, 
Um, so maybe we can listen a little bit to some of that. Uh, listen to a poem or something that she read. Uh, I can kind of play a little bit. We can just drop into it maybe. Um, so it might be interesting just to drop into it and try to see where we land. Yeah. 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 Kind of randomly dropping into it. You yeah, know? it'd be cool to hear their answers to the truth to power for some of yeah. them as well. But wherever wherever the uh, the uh, marker en- enters. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, you got it patched. Let's see if this works. Um. Downloads of this show are available on... That stuff is this machine um, of of the economics of capitalism, right? That makes everything churn or not. And, And I think, you know, the fear that drives people to do certain things and all of that at the end of the day, I think if you can trace it back to what people are allowed and, um, you know, in terms of money and in terms of the discussion about class and um, what they're scared of in their daily lives as far as if they're going to find work, if they're going to feel to feed their families. And this is like all very simplifying the questions that we deal with every day, but to a certain extent, there are these basic needs that we're wondering about. And I think... um, more and more our basic needs are being eroded, our basic rights are being eroded. So it's like, what is the mechanism that's sort of underlying all that? If if it is such a nationwide thing, you know, like has this stuff been latently hanging out there for a while? Yeah, I think you know? definitely it's part of the human narrative, you know, in some ways the commodification of, you know, the commodification of um, our lives and alienation that we go through, the disconnection with our labor yeah, is important that totally. we have people who are working for someone else who then takes the ownership of their labor, yeah. their product, saying that I'm the one who um, created this, even though they're the ones on the ground doing the work. And then that creates that alienation that whatever I'm doing is really not for my benefit, it's really for the benefit, which is, you know, complicated. Right, yeah. totally complicated. And, and a really good job is done to keep you sort of disconnected from yourself and mm-hmm. your own power. Because if you're the one helping to create something, whether that's at a factory or at a school, um, with work that's a little more tangible mm-hmm. and maybe more intellectual in nature, yet still you're putting in your time and your effort and your body and your stress and your love. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, take a clip there and then talk a little bit about kind of how we started out with labor relation issues and um, uh, kind of how the alienation, exploitation, and how that kind of connects with the body, you know? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so that, I mean, that was episode one. Where yeah. did you come in contact with uh, that guest that was, uh, was that mulling around in your head, too? I mean, just kind of. Yeah, if they're Brooklyn Poets, I'd leave. I was Brooklyn. taking some classes with Brooklyn Poets, who's a really great organization. Um, Brooklyn Poets has uh, many classes for workshopping poems, and we did uh, uh, some kind of uh, cash rules, everything around us was the um, class. Cream was, it was like, like a, that was the model of the class. So we, she was kind of going into economics in the class as well. So then I drove right into a labor relations interview with the um, – this is 2017, remember. So this is right after – this is a year, like literally like a year after you know, Trump was elected. And um, so we were talking a little bit – I was also coming off of that, 
kind of flow. And then uh, Libraries Rock, episode two, we did, um, I did an episode with the union president, um, which where he talked about, again, labor relations, labor unions, labor unions well. yeah. yeah. Um, so the first few episodes are people I knew well or that I had some intimate connection with. Um, then I did an episode uh, with my good friend Alan Avedano, who's the author of The Other Son. Uh, he, he talked a little bit about, it's called The Holiday Episode. He talked a little bit about his um, departure from Christianity and into atheism and his journey, his philosophical journey, uh, writing The Other Son, um, a book about religion and science and intersectionality between them. Yeah. That was, so the, that was in December? So like a, right, right around this time yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, yeah, the couple of the couple of episodes stand out. I don't want to go through each one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. One that, about, that that was something that really uh, yeah characterized have, the year or even characterized the the show in a real crystalline manner. Yeah, I have a guide at vjrnathan.com slash show guide where I look at the themes. Now, of course, all the links are changed because uh, uh, Ready for Brooklyn changed their uh, website or updated their website. So you guys should. Check out readyforbooking.org to see how they changed their website. It's basically just an update to the website. But originally I had um, divided divided the show up into discovering truth, community empowerment, and uh, creative processes. So the three three um, creative processes. So three major umbrella categories the show goes into. Discovering truth, uh, community empowerment, and creative processes. And then out of those out of those Umbrella categories, discovering truth. I put down on contemplative practice, on self inquiry, on journeys in faith, and on multiculturalism, which are overlapping with community awakening or community empowerment. Uh, and community empowerment on group awakening, on mental wellness, on parenting and teaching, and then uh, on creative processes, on film acting and theater, on music and songwriting, on contemplative creativity or contemplation, contemplative creator. And visual and performance art. So I try to divide up into the genre of uh, of those are the basically basically the a lot of the categories. Of which we, type of art? Which type of art? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anything, anything you want to dive into? Maybe we can look into. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, you know an artist that really surprised us too, or something you know where um, that that even that their that their method is speaking truth to power, their method of creation, um, kind of something that goes against the grain somewhat or yeah one interesting guest um had a modality of a experimental film and in her experimental film she uh had butterflies crawling on her face and then she ate the butterfly oh wow so she was kind of a commentary or kind of a, a disruption on the idea that butterflies are beautiful they're not meant to be eaten but why are cows or sheep and goats right, or right. whatever it was kind of kind of a near face kind of a confrontation of your feelings towards butterflies and how they're so beautiful and they're but they're insects ultimately so but you know just kind of kind of a jolt or shock version right. of that which yeah. I get, well because the butterfly they're considered beautiful because of the symmetry I think often too right mm. just you know like that they're balanced on on either sides but have relatively short lifespans in general yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So many people like to 
talk about the the process of the the um, caterpillar becoming the butterfly as being analogous to the human development. Right. I mean, yeah. when you think of transformation and then by consuming something of transformation, what yeah. does that do to you? Of like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and it kind of goes in one way and then once it's dispelled as waste, does it, does it come, it comes out another <laughs> way. It transforms again yeah. in your system. Um, but butter, butter and the butterfly effect. Mm. Which is, uh, do you remember that movie? Yeah, what is yeah. it like? Isn't that like parallel universe too? Or no, no, no. Yeah, one one event has yeah, a million, it's multi- yeah. Multi- the butterfly flaps his wings in Central Park. It rains in like right. Tanzania or something like. You that. believe in that or? Yeah, or yeah no, definitely. I think it comments on interconnectedness and interdependence. It's just it's just basically it's just one way to illustrate the interdependence of all things. And Alan's, Alan Avadana's book, The Other Sun, kind of comments on that as well. Uh, interdependence, kind of the the way in which we're all connected. He was talking about how the fantastic fungi. Apparently, did you see that movie? Uh, just uh, just the trailer. I don't. Think uh, I didn't it. see. It. I wanted to see it, but he says it, it talks about the connectedness of nature uh, and right. and all this kind of thing and these kind of themes of that. But mental wellness is a big theme. We had a panel. We had a guest panel on uh, three people were commenting on um, uh, mental health and creativity. Maybe we can drop into that episode. Um, that was a good one. Let me see if I can find it. Um, it was under The Healing Poetics, I believe. Uh, so we'll try to listen a little bit to that episode as well. I'll just pick a random place to... Downloads of this show. It's where I'm working with their bodies and their mm. unconscious minds. And Amen. so I found for most of... And not all my writers. I have, two, I have two writers that I would never do my meditative writing with because it's just not good for them. Yeah. But most... For most of my writers, you know, um, and this is everything from emerging to, you know, half my writers are professional TV writers and producers on shows <clears throat> that really do need help getting back in touch with their creativity. That like using something that viscerally limits their understanding to that of the characters really helps them write from that perspective. And I also say, I just want to say one quick example. You know, when writers are kind of writing and any write collaborative writing, but then it's also the performance of the writing, which the most people see as separate. But uh, the uh, what you were talking about, um, just to follow the thread of like, you know, in the show, we kind of somewhat aware there are listeners and all this kind of thing. But the, the um, performers performing and kinetically enacting the, the stuff, the written stuff, therefore it creates a kind of a, a different, slightly different kinesthetic experience, mm-hmm. might you say, than uh, that is a little bit more performing mm-hmm. performance, you know, so go ahead. Just to bring it back to your original yeah. question, yeah. Um, the idea of how do we see writing as something real, something that is part of our experience, um, it is exactly that understanding that our current perspective can screw with the way that we're trying to write. One of the things that I do, um, and this may be similar to something you do in meditation, I don't know, because different take for everybody, but I have, when my undergraduates write about themselves as though they are characters and they're limited to dial- limited to either just dialogue or just physical description, and they have to consider what that character would know at the time, or when they break down a text and say, why is this character making this stupid-ass mistake? Like, what is going on with this otherwise logical scene that is bringing the character to this point, it 
kind of brings an element of vulnerability and the understanding that, no, we don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, I think it's true. And also with, um, can I just go back to Kaylin about the um, practices and, you know, can you cite, uh, I wrote it down as a, a significant teacher, but, a, you know, we just go to a, a kind of a teaching moment that led you kind of to where you are today from a previous um, place I, I of being. I can certainly answer that, but to connect a bit more with what Claire and Jessica were saying, yeah, so the, I just wanted to get, drop into it, but we had uh, two two of the guests on that show. Um, the first one we heard from was Jessica Hines. She was a, she was a co-host on this show for like twenty five episodes. So we had her on the show for twenty five episodes as a co-host, and then um, Claire Van Winkle, who, do, who did fifteen episodes. So each one of them, you can go back and you know we did individual uh, uh, interviews with them, as well as having them on the show as co-hosts. Uh, Jessica does meditative writing, so we can you guys can check out meditativewriting.org, uh, where you can find out about screenwriting and and this kind of thing. These kind of connecting with the meditation or connecting with contemplative practice, um, with writing, creative writing, and then Claire does uh, Rockaway Writers Workshop. So they're both writing teachers. Yeah. So we were talking. They were talking a little bit about vulnerability as power and how how in writing we try to connect with. Um, that vulnerability, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, have uh, how do you think you know doing this show has affected your your writing and your writing practices um, as as a whole? I mean, do you feel you know by hearing from other writers, it's it's informing some of your own writing, or and and talking to all these artists, um, is it? Is it redefining, you know, your style even more? Are you taking in from from their from their stuff or what? Yeah, definitely, it's like helped me feel more co- comfortable being vulnerable on the page. So and I on the mic, on the mic, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think like in the first book, Escape from Samsara, perhaps I was kind of dancing around a lot of things. Whereas in this new book, Breakdown Dancer, I try to get a little bit more to the heart of, you know, the the issues and and the problems that arise in in my life and and try to be a little bit more honest and vulnerable with the page as a speaker you know like still distinguishing a speaker in the poems but making creating more intimacy with that speaker you know so yeah 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 Yeah. i was trying to think of you know the 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 uh, um the difference between i guess factual truth and then an emotional truth if we're speaking truth Mm. to power and how to navigate kind of kind of those two something that that feels that feels right but isn't actually i guess i don't know scientifically sound or completely uh, completely true and kind of the oscillating between between those two at least in in this world we've in this uh this day and age there's there's different agreed upon um or not agreed upon what is the actual truth in so many yeah. situations and yeah Man, I mean, yeah, we have to acknowledge that multiple people have multiple truths, and that there is there are shared truths, but at the same time, everyone has their own individual. We have to honor their experience, you know, and their experience is their truth. And I think that when it comes to when people are um, kind of contesting each other's truths, we have to acknowledge that there there may be a shared truth, but also that their perception is reality. You know, their perception of the of the situation is reality, and how that would play down in. Uh, Legal context, I don't know, but the point is, the least you need to honor everyone's experience, you know? Right, right. Yeah. 
Um, so, so the early shows we're, we're thinking, I mean, this is off, of course, all pre pandemic, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, we haven't even gotten to that. We're still three years out, but like how, how drastically things, uh, differed, uh, in, in that, in that respect of, of when, you know, we were speaking a little bit about performance too, and, mm. and you know, like, um, it became now even through, through pandemic, you were doing the radio show remote. And yeah, we took a little bit break for a few weeks, but then I started doing it live from home. Right. So there we had co-host Bruce Whitaker working on about 15 episodes or something like that. But ideas were still yeah. being able yeah. to be spoken of and, and yeah. the, the information you know transmitted. Yeah. Do you feel that there was a change, though, in, in, in terms of what was talked about, I guess, yeah, I mean, pre, I definitely, yeah. pre to right before? Yeah, well, well, during the pandemic, we talked a lot about the pandemic and how right. and how that affected um, the person's uh, creative process. So maybe we can drop into one episode. Let me see what's a good episode to drop into during the pandemic. Um, we had a good one, Philosophize This, um, which was an episode with um, uh, a person who I had um, I had gone to high school with, and he does a podcast called Philosophy for the Living. Um, this is a really good episode because we dropped into some of the philosophical. Like he he is, he studied philosophy and he he wants to apply it to life and how and sometimes philosophy can be very you know kind of academic as it were. Right. So we'll drop into a. We get the idea of conversion, mm. um, and I really like the idea that to really have a philosophical life involves conversion, in the sense that you're not just accepting the superficial face values anymore because you see that and you think, wait a second, there's something else going on behind me. And that's what I I need to learn about. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, when I hear that story, I'm always thinking there's something more and that's what I need to get. In uh, the church I go to in Buddhism, we talk, or just in Buddhism in general, I think, they talk a little bit about renunciation, and I'd be curious whether or not you think renunciation is turning around. If you think, if you get the impression that renunciation wow. is kind of like a way of turning around to seeing like mentally just detaching from attachment to like reward or attachment to, um, you know, kind of this, this, this rigmarole we go through in the daily life. Yeah. Uh, wow, I, I'm sort of blown away by that. Um, yeah, there's there's a clear connection in that. Um, oh, and I never thought of it. Um, so we're talking about Plato's cave. Uh, you know, the idea that we're actually trapped in, you know, the Plato's cave, the analogy of Plato's cave, where there's people in a cave, they're looking at shadows playing on the, on the side of the cave. Then they sort of turn around, they see that there's a fire there. And they're actually people manipulating uh, figures that create shadows in the caves. So they realize, oh, what I'm seeing is actually like a reproduction of uh, these figures and people, people are manipulating the image. And then they go through the journey upwards from the cave upwards to true reality. And they see actual form, according to Plato. So just to give some context to that uh, conversation. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So what, ju- what that just puts into my mind is that this this turning around in the story yeah. is limited to 
the shadows, right? Shadow play on a wall. But you're right that there are these emotional connections that, um, so turning away from a shadow on the wall involves uh, a lot of things that would be involved in renunciation, right? Like your ambitions for this. I, for example, maybe I have a real powerful dream that I'm going to live, live on a mansion on the beach, right? But then I realize, wait, that's just a shadow on the wall. But that emotion's there, right? Like, yeah. so for me to turn around from that, yeah, that takes renunciation. That's uh, especially when we're like invested in the shadow, following the predictions that we wanted to, or that our desires are embodied in that shadow. You know, like we're like, yeah. oh, I really have so a lot invested in that gameplay of the shadow, and you know, kind of thing. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, we go into like how. Um, you know, people are manipulating the image so that then it's like a, a, a casino, you know, it becomes like a casino, like life becomes a casino where we get so invested in these um, outcomes. Right, not, right. Yeah, not in the deeper meaning. Beeps and boops and flashing lights. Yeah. Although he mentions this uh, living, you know, on the beach and, and you made that into a reality. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's true, that's true. After, a little after that, which. Uh, yeah, that's true, that's true. You know, being yeah. able to take some of those dreams to, to make them into what, what you seek out. But it's funny. It's like for me, it wasn't necessarily a life goal like right. to, to live on the beach. It was <laughs> yeah. just like a happy byproduct of this process of finding a looking for an apartment and, and figuring out where. And then I also carry some weight with it because it's so far away from you know my job now and so therefore it's like it's funny how if it had had it been a life goal of mine um you know i really want to live near the beach i really want to live near the beach um, imagine you know how different experience it would be and how and how it would take the commute how it would take the commute from from there to sure. midtown yeah well at the time you were you were looking out at places you know commute wasn't a factor really yeah, much exactly, at exactly, all yeah. too for so many people but yeah. you know it really is to but it makes you think as to yeah what's what's important yeah we had a few episodes where i crossed over with what is love show um that was interesting and i had uh i kind of substituted for what is love i don't count that in our account to uh the um number of episodes of truth to power but um, it's interesting. I think there's one episode where we had a really great discussion of, um, you know, eros and erotic love. Um, I'm trying to see where it is now, but um, oh, we're getting into love. Yeah, yeah. The truth of love. Yeah, the truth of love. The truth yeah. of love too. Like when you say you love somebody, that's is it? I love them 100 percent, right? Yeah. Like all the time. You can't. You can't love somebody. 48 percent right <laughs> yeah, yeah this one uh authors of return to eros so let me drop into that one a little bit a new narrative we're, we're talking about in this book return to eros is sex erotic and that's the only narrative that can actually take you beyond sexual shame that's because what sex erotic says and it's based on you know an enormous depth in both the sciences the evolutionary sciences systems theory complexity theory Right, it plays with you know, the edges of physics, it works with anthropology, and it works with the deepest insights of the esoteric, the interior sciences of all the great traditions. So it's not a fanciful kind of new age claim. Probably it's the best information we have to provide and articulate the best sexual narrative we have available today in the world. And in one sense, it's like this. It's the sexuality that arises in me, that ecstatic urgency that moves in me, 
that is the evolutionary eros itself that moves everything arising uniquely in me. That simple, simple sentence changes everything. But it's not this pathological urge in me. It's not this violation of my social self, which I need to no, know. It's actually the eros of evolution. The eros of evolution itself arising in me uniquely, right? that is the core of sexuality. And that doesn't mean that I should have sex with everyone whenever I want to, right? Context matters, of course, right? We're not talking about unconscious evolution. We're in the move from unconscious to conscious evolution. But once I get the core shift, that the evolutionary eros arising in me, and something changes, I begin to move beyond shame. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. good, good, good. <laughs> Layer to, yeah, the, then you move behind shame. I, I really like yeah. how that ended. Yeah. It's interesting when we think about how, when we connect it to the Plato's cave and how we kind of have this whole narrative around sexuality and sex that is kind of very invested in, you know, outcomes rather than processes, you know, like just like we were discussing over the, you know, like when you look at the shadows, the manipulations, the we were very easily triggered by, um, you know, manipulations of, of the people around us and all this kind of thing. You know, we're not deep going deeper with ourselves, our psyche, our our psychological process. You know, right? Yeah. Well, you said in terms of love, love making. Yeah, yeah exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, there's all these narratives in in, in um, this media. That there's you know the, all these narratives about the the around love and, and eros and sexuality these rom- rom-coms i think are i don't know i don't know what are your opinions on romantic comedies and romance whether or not they give false narratives or whether or not they give whether they give hope or fantasy fulfillment or what is your take on that yeah, yeah. i mean they've they've definitely sh- shifted over time too now i mean i tend to you know like satire and parodies and ones that are commenting on like the the tropes of a romantic comedy without mm. being a romantic comedy um yeah yeah i mean at this point i i guess you know sometimes you like to just go for the ride and 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 go through that truncated little emotional experience with the bookends but i do appreciate a a more truthful movie that is going to tell you tell it how it is of the the, the true heartbreaks that the the that the couple doesn't always end up together, that there is, um, you know, that those, and those are available, the narratives where I guess it does not uh, always either end or sometimes it, 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 you know, it does, it does work out. Yeah. Uh, and th- just to remind listeners, that was Mark Gaffner, who, uh, Gaffney, uh, who uh, you can find that episode on uh, What is Love Divine Erotic um, on, under the show page, Choose to Power, uh, RadioFooking.org slash Choose to Power. Um, yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. And then we had um, we had some, we had a lot of Buddhist uh, um, readers, uh, you know, the poets or um, you know teachers or uh, some kind of element of that. Uh, but also, um, I'm trying to find a good one. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of like uh, uh, the, I'll go into the, the um, one of our more popular episodes. This is an episode that um, a lot of people download. Uh, because of the connection to the New Kadampa tradition, um, you can see is, a, yeah. a, a, a a stats on on yeah exactly yeah yeah I can see a lot of the episodes are a lot of this um, this episode is downloaded a lot mm-hmm. um, 
So this is like two teachers in the New Kanapa tradition who uh, talk a little bit about some of the teachings they give. And we'll just drop into that episode. And we realize that our wisdom, our attempt to be wise, is our attempt to apply wisdom and virtue is actually mixed with that ignorant, ignorant attachment, ignorant of ignorance of whatever it is, you know, of anger. Uh, so, you know, when performing a virtuous action, what is most essential to ensure? How do we sift through that and say, oh, we're going to have a, we're going to be more wise? You know, how, how, do, you, how do you shift, sift through that kind of, yeah? Well, I think it's very much a process, yeah. too. It's like um, yes, just starting out by becoming aware can be like a really wonderful thing. And then maybe that takes a year or two years to just even become aware of what's yeah. going on within your own mind. You know, Geshe-Lara, our teacher, writes about um, unexamined assumptions and habitual ways of thinking are being problematic to us. So you know, I think so many of us, and I, I certainly know that that would be me, you know, just acting out of habit and not even aware. I, I'm still, you know, many years into this practice. I know that I'm doing things that are coming from someplace I'm not even aware of that, that um, mm-hmm. you know, are not, not, not virtuous because I can see people responding in ways to me that are, Know, indicative of something that I'm that I'm doing that's provoking something within them, so um, I think yeah, definitely starting it's a process and it's 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 going in, it's it's doing the looking, uh, identifying things, and then um, yeah, just working on uh, paying attention to the teachings and just going well, here's an opportunity for me to practice. Like Neil said, you know, rely upon a happy mind. So yeah. in this moment, rather than getting angry, which is something that I do but don't know I do or yeah. something that I do that is a bad habit maybe I'm going to try and practice relying on a happy mind it's also I think very important not I think it is very important for us to know the difference between virtuous minds those minds that will lead to happiness and uh, what we call deluded or non-virtuous minds those minds that will be the source of pain and suffering so it's so they go on. To, now, it's interesting with uh, I wrote a paper last night about Jungian interpretations of meditation. And Jung was someone who um, I think he, he did a lot of shadow work. He did a lot of work with negative emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in Buddhism, traditionally in Buddhism, we think about virtue and non-virtue. We think about meditation being cultivation of virtue. And I think Jung liked and appreciated a lot of Buddhism. And perhaps I'm going out on a limb here, but I think he also understood that there's functionality in the, the shadow and the non-virtuous states of mind that we get into, um, that he knows he wanted to see what they're revealing about our psyche and be unafraid and unabashedly confront them and be in dialogue with them, you know? And, like, and he was non-judgmental in that sense. Wow, you know? wow. But yeah. and, and then in what context would you be confronting them, though, but not around other while in analysis or while? No, while in analysis. Yeah, and then you right. do, like, active imagination, Active imagination was a big practice of his where he'd like personify these negative states of mind. And it's very gestalt in a way. Gestalt therapy, psychotherapy goes into the functionality of, I don't know whether, I guess it must have been derived from Jungian practice. I'm not sure. But with the, with the, how, how gestalt um, evolved. Um, but uh, the point is, um, you know, Jung felt like, um, you know, you could uh, personify these parts of you that were, shadow places that were negative or that you're trying to renounce, they're trying to push away um, in that sense. Um, you know, and that you could, you could be frank dialogue with these forces, personified forces and in art and in dialogue and be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really give them a voice, give them a place of power that they can, they, they can tell me what they want so they can be released. 
Yeah, with the with the intention of releasing them, though, you know, with the intention of like, allowing them to finish up there, you know. Yeah, yeah. To not then come out in in real life and yeah. I don't know. Is it yeah? While while in that type of release and deep analysis, is there the awareness that you are in analysis though? Like mm. part of you knowing, all right, yeah. I'm doing this only because I'm in analysis yeah. rather than in everyday life when when it's going to happen. Yeah, but I think it's it gives a place. You know, I think like with therapy, therapeutic processes, you you can never separate out analysis from life. You know, because like, you're in, you're in relation with someone. You know, it was you're in relation with your therapist. You know, so even though I know there's a lot of narratives around codependence and all this kind of thing. But really, the therapist is there just to facilitate your process. But also, they're, you're in a relationship with them. In other words, you're, you're having a, a a real connection, you know, hopefully. Right. You know? But will the therapist purposely push the buttons to let that shadow out? Oh. Or they will they do, you know, is that manipulative or is that virtuous on the therapist side? Yeah, being yeah. Able to, to, all right, to get the person to get this stuff out, hmm. I might have to play something different than what is virtuous or what is right yeah i think it's important to have consent on that to be like on the same page and and not to do not to if they're going to do something like that i think it's important to do in a mindful way that the person feels comfortable true um so in that sense it's a very nuanced approach but um yeah uh as far as psychology goes we have one episode the wild truth where uh poet audrey demilla 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 um, talks a little about, um, uh, you know, how it will just drop into an episode, but it basically about like mental wellness and echotherapy. Um, so we'll drop in a little bit and then we'll start to wrap up. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll see how it Welcome goes. to the Truth to Power show. With me, he says. I walk to the middle of the bridge. <laughs> so it's really great how, you know, this, these, creation of these um internal journey this inner journey into the um underworld and such is like is 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 something that's reflected in all of our journeys it's like universal and yet at the same time very specific to one person's journey and how that's and it just really speaks to the architecture of the human mind and how there's only there's only um so many pathways that we can take and, and how we're all converging on the same pathways, I guess. I don't know, but we seem to, I think the, the, the miss, uh, mistake is that we seem to think that we're all so unique and we're also, you know, that our journey and that, that uniqueness or that specialness carries with that burden because it's like, Oh, then it's just all about me. It's all about my ideas and my life and it's separate. But actually, I think this is discovering that we're all interconnected, that, you know, we're all kind of, um, we have that special connection that we're reflecting in each other, our own processes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shared landscape of of myth. You know, everyone's kind of kingdom and and wilderness leads into the other, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and maybe, you know, my black wolf and white wolf are coming another guise for you. You know, but it's the same energy. It it is this this guide with this particular. This show is eight in the morning. Let's just yeah. let's just clarify that. Thousand faces, right? This show is yeah, like eight in the morning. I was very tired. Uh, 
a way in which society <laughs> makes things uh, so clean and like oh, there's only there's I did only, catch you know, there was there was a, there was a bit of a yawn, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> hey, no, no, that's that's uh, understandable at yeah. any point. Not a, not a testament to the guest. It was just yeah. where you where you at. Yeah, because uh, like I, I would have to wake up at seven just to get ready for the show and right. crazy times. Now, yeah. now I I noticed you're you're putting different clips on throughout the show. Yeah. You didn't have any pre-agendas where you would plug into this. It's just kind of your. I feel like we're spinning like the roulette wheel. Yeah, of exactly, episodes, exactly. Which is kind of yeah. cool, and and which is you know like it's not about the beginning or end. It's just at any moment pop in, and then you know yeah. kind of our reaction to it, which is yeah. kind of a cool format of yeah. Of we could do this all day. Of I mean, just yeah, you yeah, yeah. pop it in and like oh yeah, yeah that was it. And, yeah. Um, that's what happens when you have about 200 <laughs> and you know, yeah. if you knew, if you know, you were present aside from that one yawn yeah. um, throughout the, uh, throughout every episode, if you put it on, you'll know, you know, kind of, all right, where, where the conversation was at that yeah. point. Um, yeah. That's kind of fun. Um, let's see what is cost coming up for me. Um, well, I want to, yeah, I'm yeah. just trying to think, you know, like on topic, truth to power yeah. and, there was the personal as political was another kind of thing yeah. uh, that that you tied in. I mean, we don't get too heady into politics, you know, on this show, but we're coming upon what the anniversary of the uh, the, the Capitol uh, uh, in in about a month. Yeah, yeah, just about one month, exactly yeah. a month. We had a very uh, powerful episode. Um, around the time of uh, Labor Day of 2019, where uh, it was really like very much responding to the Trump, the height of the Trump era, Mm -hmm. you know, and like uh, very like um, powerful, like the energy of the episode was so powerful, very palpable in the energy of the, of the, um, of the, um, yeah, of the the flow of the conversation. So let me see if I can find it, but we're starting to run low on time, but, I'll try to um real quick on politics yeah. and then we'll go into yeah. another topic of of sorts. Yeah. Who are you looking for? Um it was called episode um uh I'm trying to find it now. Um I'm trying to remember what the name of it was even. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know if I can find it, but anyway, the point is uh it was with um Uche Uche um Uche was the poet um, and he talked a lot about his trend. He talked a lot about politics, though. He didn't talk so much about his poetry so much as uh, about kind of his response to the zeitgeist of that times mm. and how we have to really wake up now. I think it was the end of the episode, Wake Up Now. Uh, and we need to wake up and find the, find the truth within ourselves. Yeah. I mean, is there a politician you think that has informed your personality in any way? Uh, I mean, now it seems like we, we kind of look back on history and we think about, um, you know, Franklin Daniel Roosevelt, FDR, or something like that. Teddy Roosevelt, baby. Yeah, I like Teddy Bear. I feel like FDR was more, um, basically his legacy was more along the lines of what I want to see in government, you know, like, you know, being able to really provide for, He's very much a socialist kind of a thing. He was very much into government programs and, and providing for these things. I know like a lot of people nowadays like 
feel like, oh, you know, it's not good. But I, I, I personally still idealize that kind of a, that kind of a, um, approach. Right. You know? well, what I'm getting at, too, is is not necessarily their policies, but is yeah. there politicians with which, you know, throughout your life, you sh- somewhat modeled your own personality after or their styles of leadership or their because it happens in reverse, like people see themselves, you know, mm. some people saw themselves as as a Trump figure. Right. Yeah. People saw themselves as a as a Reagan. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as a Clinton. Um, whether or not at any point a politician yeah, has shaped, you know, your personality rather than the way they they or, you know, how they choose to what they choose to do with the world, almost just their public, you know, political pers- pers- personality. Yeah, it's interesting how when growing up, it was like a um, a real like, you know, we started out with um, – you know, kind of understanding that that politicians should be polished in their performance, and 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 kind of understand and the understanding, at least from my schooling, mm-hmm. that politicians are from historical understandings. The politicians gave great speeches, and they, you know, they really tried their best, and they really were the the cream of the crop. Right. And then starting with Dan Quayle, you know, we started to see a, a breakdown in the kind of performative style, and then you know, even with. Uh, George W. Bush, you know, and, and then uh, and then um, Sarah Palin, and then uh, all these people started to break down the kind of polishedness, polished uh, image, and then finally go- going down to Donald Trump, where it becomes like a real, in my opinion, a real breakdown of the of the kind of persona Steam of the office, yeah, the persona and the and the, the persona of like that I'm going to be the best. I'm really going to put on that front of like being a being a very articulate and being very you know, polished and educated. Now it seems like uh, someone who's not so polished can can be right. In a spotlight. But that's yeah. also effect of twenty four hour news cycle too. Yeah. Of, of, there's more clips of that person and yeah. more potential to catch them in different different states of mind. Yeah. But the idea of yeah, like the actor, yeah, persona, like well, Reagan being kind of you know like the actor as the uh, politician, mm. you know, and uh, Trump reality star as tele- as as politician. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. But um, yeah, we we mostly in the show are trying to avoid like real commentary, overt political topics. Mm -hmm. But I try to get into like how you know, uh, you know how the person is able to process their own life and their own connections to it. So even I even avoided um, like interviewing politicians. You know, a lot of times people would say, "Oh, maybe you shouldn't be this politician," because I feel like you know. They'll they'll be there not to talk about their own life but talk about their politics mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure whether or not that would really jive with the the vibe I'd been going for, you know. Right, right. Yeah. But um, I have to do. Let me just quickly tell people um, this is Radio for Brooklyn, the Truth to Power show. You know, Radio for Brooklyn is a really great organization and they uh, provide a free and open platform to our community for promote literacy, education, free expression, public art. We did uh we did a uh, public art exhibit, the Wall of Lies, a couple years ago. Oh, nice. Um, now I think two years ago, or uh, where they kind of looked up all the specific mistruths and misleading statements that Trump had done, and they right, put right, up a right. wall of it. Um, some people were like, "Oh, why don't you do that with Biden?" But I think he was like particularly uh, Trump was particularly notorious for 
Yes. You know, yes. really stretching the truth and really being really out there with alternative facts. Anyway, the point is, you know, whether they, whether or not you're a Trump supporter or not, um, we're here to provide a free, free and open platform. I mean, I hate to say there's a divide in our community, but, you know, um, I hope that you'll continue to support us. Uh, every dollar helps us continue to stay on air, allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c nonprofit, C3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support the monthly pledge, one-time donation at rachelbrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper, you like donating in a way that costs you nothing, go to rachelbrooklyn.org slash Amazon and register rachelbrooklyn.org slash Amazon Smile Charity. So that a portion of your sales will go to uh, benefit Radio for Brooklyn. And then, uh, you know, if you're listening to your computer, you can free yourself up by listening on your iPhone or Android. The apps are available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. And find and get our email blast at RadioFulcan.org slash newsletter. So, yeah, that's the quick uh, touch basing with, uh, you know, the organization organizational that has level. helped yeah. put out these 200 close episodes. Yeah. 199. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to uh, just talk a little what's going on, VJ, with, with uh, your writing and, and life, too, as we wrap up a couple of things. I know you got uh, Breakdown Dancer on the um, on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Poets of Queens was kind enough to, uh, great enough to uh, publish it. So you can go to poetsofqueens.org or go to my website, vjrnathan.com, and I'll be posting uh, the links soon, hopefully soon, um, you know, with the ordering information, but you can check it out. It's called Breakdown Dancer, where I kind of explored since 2018. So this is my last collection. I've been working on some poems about mental wellness, about spirituality, about romance, looking into love, looking into the divine, uh, erotic, um, you know, all this kind of thing, and, and heartbreaks, uh, breakups and breaks downs, I call it. Like, that's what it's breakdown dancers, nice. breakups and breakdowns. Right, right. So, um, you know, it's kind of a frank examination of all these different things. And the title poem was published in um, uh, a magazine, high, I think it was High Shelf, um, High Shelf Press, um, where, they, uh, where it explores a three-year process of, you know, kind of a, a low period in my life. Yeah. So thanks so much. Yeah, oh, looking one forward to see yeah. that. Break breakups, breakdowns, and there's fix ups. So there's fix downs. Well, I mean, I don't <laughs> yeah. know for uh, getting your uh, tubes tied or or, or a dog <laughs> dog being neutered. A, a yeah, fix, is that a fix down? Um, fixed up, fixed up. Yeah, the yeah. fix, the fix. Yeah, sir, fix a lot. Um, yeah, no, sir, mix a lot. But um, do do you want to do you want to have more power in, in life? I think the feeling of feeling that you you can change things, that you have an impact, that you matter, is important. And I think it's not just a question of power in the sense of like over others, but power over yourself and your own processes is important. Right. Yeah. I want to so, have more uh, more electricity <laughs> where just to be brighter, to shine a little brighter and, and to, yeah, you know, yeah. Shine the, yeah, on, shine on. Electric power. All right, guys. So Let's thank you so in. much. So shine on, folks. Let's do it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Michelle Schacht. Community-based independent media like Radio Free Brooklyn gives a voice.